Hello everyone and welcome back to the MTG Novels Project. The MTG Novels Project is available both on YouTube and as a podcast version. Check the description for more details. A legal note. This is an unofficial audiobook with original content belonging to Wizards of the Coast. This content is covered under 2017 Wizards of the Coast fan content policy. Listener discretion is advised. Today we will continue with Chapter 20 of Planeswalker by Lynn Abbey. Zanja had understood every word the auburn-haired man had said, an unprecedented happening on a new world. She dug deep into her memories, trying to recognize the language and miss the obvious. The stranger spoke Argivian, the sounds of Urza's long-lost boyhood and of her newtish dreams, the foundation of the Argot she and Urza spoke to each other in. But if this were Dominaria, then Urza would have recognized the stars. And if the stranger were another walker with the power to absorb languages without time or effort, then why had he said, we've been waiting? The stranger touched his forehead, lips, and heart before embracing Urza, cheek against cheek. Urza bent into the gesture, as he would have done if he were suspicious. And you're Zancha. The stranger turned his attention to her. He'd hesitated before stating her name, taking it from her mind. Nonetheless, he were much better at such things than Urza was. She felt no violation. Once again, the stranger touched himself three times before embracing her exactly as he embraced Urza. His hands were warm with the texture of flesh and bone. His breath was warm, too, and faintly redolent of onions. Waiting for us? Urza demanded before asking the stranger's name or any other pleasantries. Before sunset, I was elsewhere very much elsewhere, and until now, I did not know for certain that I had found the place I had been seeking for so long. Yes, waiting, the stranger insisted, keeping one hand beneath Zancha's elbow and guiding Urza toward one of the houses with the other. You walk the plains. You have been unaware of your approach for some time now. It's good to have you here at last. Zancha glanced behind the stranger's shoulders. Urza had devised a code. A simple hand and facial movement for a moment when they were among mind skimmers. She made the signal for danger, and received the sign for negation in response. Urza wasn't worried as a stranger led them through a simple stone built gate into the tall open roof atrium. There were others in the atrium, a woman at an open hearth, stirring a pot of stew that was the source of the onions. Sancha had smelled earlier. Two other women and a man, all adults, all individuals, yet bound by a familiar resemblance. An ancient sat in a wicker chair, wrinkled and toothless, and nearly bald. Sancha couldn't guess if she beheld a man or woman. Beyond the ancient, in another atrium, two half-grown children dangled strings from a litter of kittens, while a round-faced toddler child watched her from behind the banister at the top of the stairway. Of them all, only the toddler betrayed even a faint distrust of the uninvited guests. Where moments earlier Zancha had warned Urza of danger, she now began to wonder why the household seemed so unconcerned. Didn't they see knives and swords? Had they no idea what a walker could do, especially a walker named Urza? There's a portion for you, the harsite woman said specifically to Zancha as she ladled out a solitary bowl and set it on the table that ran the length of the atrium. Like the man who met them on the road, she spoke Argivian, but with a faint accent, 
You must be hungry after your journey. Zancha was hungry. She caught Urza's eyes again and passed the general signal that asked, What should I do? Eat, he said. The food smells delicious. But a second bowl wasn't offered, as if they knew a walker never needed to eat. Zancha sat in a white chair, at a white table, eating stew from a white bowl. Everything that could have had a chosen color, including the floors and the walls, were white and sparkling clean. Except for a spoon in the bowl, it was plain wood, rubbed until it was satin smooth. She used it consciously, afraid she'd dribble and embarrass herself. Both distinct possibilities. Distracted as she was by conversations between Urza and the others that she couldn't quite overhear. The stew was plain but tasty. If there was time, she'd like to see the garden where they grew the vegetables and the fields where they harvested their grain. It was a meatless stew. Somehow that didn't surprise her. With egg drizzled in the broth and pale chunks like cubes of soft cheese, a bit smaller than her thumb. Taken the place of meat. The chunks had the texture of soft cheese, but not the taste. Indeed, they had no taste that Zancha could discern, and she was tempted to leave them in the bowl, but the woman asked her if the meat was pleasing to a wanderer's palate. The auburn-haired man was Ronom. The cook was Tessu, and the other legs left no impression in Zancha's mind, save for Braya, the toddler at the top of the stairs. When Zancha had finished her second bowl of stool and a mug of excellent cider, Tessu suggested a hot bath in an open steaming pool. Zancha had no wish to display her newt's undifferentiated flesh before strangers and declined the offer. Tessu suggested sleep in a room of their, her own. Facing the mountain, it was a privilege of some sort, but Zancha declined a second time. She pushed away from the spotless white table and took a cautious stride towards the pillow, sitting not of folk gathered around Urza. Opposition never materialized. The family made room for her between two women whose names Zancha couldn't remember. Urza gave her the finger sign for silence. The family discussed stars and myths. They used unfamiliar names, but all the other words were accented Argivian, with only a few lapses of syntax or vocabulary. It wasn't their native language yet. They all learned it well enough for an esoteric conversation that couldn't, in any meaningful sense, include her or Urza. Zancha twisted her fingers into an open question, and Urza replied with a sign for silence. Silence wasn't difficult for Zancha, unless it was imposed. She fidgeted and considered joining the youngsters, still playing with the kittens, until Tessu shuttled them upstairs. The conversation began to flag, and for the first time since they entered the austere decorated atrium, the air charged with anticipation, even at the edge of time, their conversations. They could be held only after the children had gone to bed. Tessu and Ronam, together, brought the agent to what had been Ronam's place on Urza's right. Then everyone shuffled about the room to make room for the pair, whose Zadja had decided were husband and wife, if not lord and lady, on the opposite side of the circle. You have questions, the agent said. The voice gave no clues to the grizzled figure's sex, but the accent was thick. Zanja had to listen closely to distinguish the words. No one comes to Equilor without questions. Urza made two signs, one with each hands, silence and observe, before he said, I've come to learn my enemy's weaknesses. 
The two men exchanged glances. One triumphant, an ongoing dispute settled at last. Against all reason, these folks had been expecting them, exactly them, Urza from Argive, and a companion who'd been glad of a hot meal at the end of a long day. But they hadn't known for certain why, and that made less sense. If you knew Urza well enough to know his name, where he was headed, then surely you had driven him through the multiverse to Equilor. The men, however, said nothing. Like Xantia, they seemed relegated to silence, waiting for the ancient to speak again. Equilor is not your enemy. Equilor has no enemies. If you weren't any of Equilor, you would have not found us. Another crate plain like Phyrexia and Sarah's realm, accessible only across a fathomless chasm, which Urza hadn't mentioned. I am a seeker, nothing more, Urza countered, as formal and constrained as Xantia had ever heard him. I sense no defenses as I walked. We would not intimidate our enemies, Urza. We would not encourage them to test their courage. We know you are a seeker. We permitted you to find what you sought. The elders will see you. By which the agent implied that he or she was not one of the elders. Perhaps the term was an honorific, not dependent on age. Sancho would have liked to ask an impertinent question or two, but Urza's questions remained loosely in their silence and observed positions. I will ask them about Phyrexia. Have you heard of it? There is a considerable movement in the circle. Zancha couldn't observe it all, but Phyrexia was not unknown to the household. The agent said one word, misguided, which seemed sufficient to everyone but Urza and Mishra. More than misguided, Urza sputtered. They are a force of abomination, of destruction. They have set themselves against my plane, and I have sworn vengeance against them in the name of my brother, my people, and the Thrad. That word, Thran, also brought an exchange of glances, less profound than what had followed Phyrexia. Misguided, the agent repeated. Foolish and doomed, the elders will tell you more. So you know of them. I am convinced that they were banished from the native plane when they created Phyrexia. I am looking for that plane. If it is not Equilor, I hope you can tell me where it is. I have heard that whatever is known in the multiverse is known to Equilor. The agent nodded. The ones you seek have never come to Equilor. They are young as you are young. Use does not often come to Equilor. They fought the Thran over 6,000 of my years ago. And I myself have walked the plane for over two millennia. The ancient fired a question to Ronam in the language Jansha couldn't understand. Ronam replied in Gaivian. Shorter. Bakula. By at least a third. You are old, Urza, for a young man. But compared to Equilor, you are scarcely weaned from your mother's breast. In Equilor, we began our search for enlightenment a hundred millennia ago. Do you not wonder, then, that you could not see our defenses as you pass through them? You are, will think differently when the Frexians arrive. They are a small folk with small ambitions and smaller dreams. You have nothing to offer them. Perhaps we are wrong about you. The ancient adds something short and derives it in the other language, watching Urza as closely as he watched the other household. Sancho realized that Urza couldn't skim the thoughts of these deceptively simple folk. It is late, Tessu said, putting polite yet unrespectable end to the discussion. She rose to her feet. Ramnam rose beside her. Time to rest and sleep. The sun will rise. The rest of the household stood and bowed their heads as Ramnam and Tessu helped the ancient from the atrium. 
Moments later, Zancha and Urza were alone. This is the place, Urza said directly in her mind. The old one said not. She is testing us. Tomorrow, when I meet with the Endlers, I will have what I have long wished to learn. In her private thoughts, Zancha wondered how Urza knew the Ancient was a woman, then chided herself for thinking he could be right about such a small thing when he seemed so wrong about the rest. The Ancient had talked to Urza as often as Urza talked to her, but he hadn't noticed the slights. They have secrets, Zancha warned, but no reply formed in her mind, and she couldn't know if Urza had retrieved her thought. Tasu and Ramnam returned. Ramnam said there is a special chamber for those who would speak to the elders, waited for the sun to rise. For Zanja, who was just as glad to be included, there is a narrow bedchamber at the end of a cloistered corner. A change of clothes and a worried question. You will bathe before sunrise? She answered in the same tone. If I may bathe unobserved, the mountains will see you. There were no roofs over any of the chambers. Zamshard wondered what they did when it rained, but the mountain is not a problem. You have customs that inhibit you? Zansha nodded. If that explanation would satisfy Tessu, she provide no other. I will not interfere, but I cannot sleep until you have bathed. Your customs? Tessu nodded, and with her clean clothes under her arm, Zansha followed her host to the dark and quiet atrium. If Tessu... So it cut. If Tessu failed to contain her curiosity... Sancha was none the wiser, as smooth and hairless as the day she crawled out of her vat. Sancha eased herself into the starlit, steaming pool. A natural hot springs kept the water pleasant warm. A gutter, white of course and elegantly simple, carried the overflow away. She scrubbed herself clean in a matter of moments, and knowing that Tessier waited in the atrium, should have towered herself off immediately. But the mountain was watching her, and she watched back. It had many eyes. Zanja counted at least 33 and remembered the bats. The eyes were probably nothing more than caves. Still, the sense of observation was inescapable. After staring so intensely at shades of black and darkness, Zanja thought she saw flickering lights in some of the cave eyes, thought the lights formed a ripple of web across the mountain. Zanja thought a number of things, until she realized she was standing naked beside the pool at which point all of her thoughts scattered and vanished. She grabbed her clothes, both clean and filthy, and retreated into the atrium. You are unwell, Tessu asked discreetly from the shadows, as Zancha wrestled with the unfamiliar clasps and plackets. It did see me. Tessu failed to repress a chuckle. They will not harm you, Zancha. Urza was right. They're being tested. Zancha had hoped she had passed. Sancha slept well and awoke to an unmistakable sound of children being quiet outside her door. They were not so fluent in Archivian as the household adult members, but the tallest of the three boys, who understandably took himself to be older than Zancha and therefore entirely give her orders, made it clear that sunrise was coming and it was time for guests to come outside and join the family in its morning rituals. The eastern horizon had barely begun to brighten when Zancha settled into what was evidently a place of honor between Tessu and the ancient. They faced west towards the mountain, which was a monolithic black in the pre-dawn light, as it was during Sancha's bath. There were no prayers, a relief, and no Urza or Ramnam or Brya, either. Brya's absence could be explained by the motionless serenity which was the household awaited the coming of the daylight. 
No toddler could sit still for so long. Zanja herself was a child by the discipline. Her mind ached with unasked questions. Her nose itched, then her toes, and a nearly unreachable spot between her shoulder blades. She was ready to explode when light struck the mountain's rounded crest. As the sunrise went in, it was not spectacular. The air was clear. There are no clothes anywhere to add contrast to the movement, to this surprisingly slow progression of color and light on the mountainside. But that, Zanji realized, was Equilor's mystery and revelation. Those who dwelt at the edge of time had gone past the need for the spectacular. They learned to appreciate the subtlest differences. They conquered boredom even more efficiently than the perfect folk of Sarah's realm. They could wait forever and a day, which Zancha supposed was a considerable accomplishment, though nothing she wished to emulate. Find what you're looking for, she urged the absent Urza. Moments before the dawn revealed the two white-clad figures moving towards the mountain's main cave. The ancient wrapped Zampsha on the back. Pay attention. Watch close. Guessing that some rite of choosing or choice was about to take place, Zancha did her best to follow the ancient advice but it proved impossible. Brilliant light suddenly began to flash from the cave's mouth, as if it each contained a mirror. She blinked rapidly and to no effect. Each cave mouth had its own rhythm. No matter how Zancha tried, her eyes were quickly painfully blinded by the reflected sunlight. You'll learn, the ancient chided, while tears ran down Zancha's deep cheeks. The dazzle ended. Tessu embraced Zancha with a hearty, Good morning! and pulled her to her feet before releasing her. Sanja had scarcely dried her face on her sleeves before the rest of the household followed Tusu's example and greeted her the same embrace they used with each other. She had never been so carefully included in a family gathering and seldom felt out of place. Her vision was awash in purple and green blobs when she and Tessu were alone in the atrium. You aren't used to it yet, Tessu said gently. You'll learn. That's what the ancient said. Ancient. Oh. Bakuya. She'll go up the mountain herself, I think, after you and Ursa leave. She's been waiting quite a long time, even for us, for you to arrive. The certainty in Tessie's voice was an unexpected relief. Zancha in one of the caves, right? Kyodos. Ramnam will say for certain when he returns this afternoon. Kudos, the name of the cave of the elder who occupied it. Zancha stifled idly uh, with curiosity in favor of a more important question. Do you know when Urza will return? Tomorrow or the next day, whenever he and Kodaz have finished. It was nearly 20 days before the neighbor spotted a white-robed man coming down the mountain. By then, Zancha knew that there was no difference between the cave and the elder, or more accurately, elders who dwelt within. Ramnam, Tessu, and the rest of the Ecolor community, and there was only the one community at the edge of time, lived those mortal lives in expectation of the day when they would climb a mountain one last time to merge with their ancestors. Despite their focus on the cave-dwelling ancestors, the folk of Ephralor were to mortal people. They laughed with one another, loved their children, and took genuine delight in the small events of daily life. They argued, held grudges, and gossiped among themselves and about the elders, who, despite their collective spirits, were not within the individual foibles. Kodos, Zanja learned, was known to be long-winded and supremely self-confident, 
As Urza's time in the cave had lengthened, the household began to joke that Kordos had found a soulmate, a notion that distressed Zancha. Aldilic ways, notwithstanding, Echolor is not a place where she wanted to spend eternity. When she heard that Urza had been spotted, she left the house at once and jogged along the stone road until she met up with him. Did you get your answer? she asked, adding, I can be ready to leave before sundown. I've only scratched the surface, Zancha. You are young compared to them. We know so little, and they have collected knowledge for so long. A thousand years wouldn't be enough time. Ten thousand, even a hundred thousand years wouldn't be too much. You can't, Im can't imagine what the elders know. Of course you couldn't imagine. She is Phyrexians. Remember why we're here. What about vengeance? Your brother, Dominaria, Phyrexia. He grabbed her lift into the air. Kodos knows so much, Zancha. Do you remember after we left Phyrexia, how I was unable to return to Dominaria? I said it was as if the portion of the multiverse that helped Dominaria had been squeezed and sealed away from the rest. I was right, Zancha. Not only was it right, but I was the one who had squeezed and twisted it when I emptied the cyclic's bowl. It wasn't evidence at first. Well, it was Dominaria was cooler when I left. But I didn't understand how the two were related. But it was in my mind. When I used the cyclist to protect my home for all time, the bull's power was so great that my wish was granted. No artifact device, no planeswalker will, can breach the sword that the cyclist created. The elders here at the Equilox could not breach it. You turned your home into Frek. Zanja caught herself before she finished the fatal word and substituted. Sarah's realm instead? Better, Zancha, much better. The Sharp is more than a chasm, and Darmneria is an entirely nexus of planes, all natural and balanced. Darmneria is safe. I saved it with the Silex. But the Frexians, Frexians and the ineffable, they are doomed, Zancha. Accidents and anomalies not worth the efforts of destroying them. Now that I am sure that Darmneria is safe, there are more important questions, Zancha. I can see that now. I found my place. Echolor is where I belong. Kodos and the others have so much knowledge. But they've done nothing with it. Look around us, Zancha. These folks need leadership. Vision. And we'll give it to them. When I am finished, Equilor will be the jewel of the multiverse. Zancha thought of Tesu and Romnom waiting to merge with all their ancestors. She wriggled free and said cautiously, I don't think that's what anyone here wants. They have not dreamed with me, Zancha. Kodos has only begun to dream with me. It will take time, but we have time. Equilor is time. They are not no mortal, but they might as well be. Did you know that if Briya, Ramnam's oldest, had been born where I was born, she would be an old woman in her 80s? Zancha had known and wasn't comfortable with the knowledge. Urza, however, was radiant and intoxicated by his ambitions as she would have been with a jug of wine. Urza, you haven't found your place, she said, retreating into the grass. You've lost it. We came here to find the first home for the Phyrexians. They've never been here, and if the others didn't know where they'd find them, they may as well leave soon. Nonsense, Urza retorted, and stared walking towards the White Houses. Nonsense was also the first word of Pakaya's toothless mouth, when Urza regaled the household with his notions over supper. Tesu, Ramnam, and the others were too polite, or perhaps too astonished, 
to say anything until Urzas had walked back to the Keslov's cave. And then they spoke in their own language. Janja had learned only a few words of Ecuadorian. She expected they spoke her Argivian dialect precisely to keep their own language a mystery, but she didn't need a translator to cap that they were unhappy with Urza's plans or to decide that their politeness masked a strong, even rapid culture. Tessu confirmed Sancha's suspicions. It might be best, she said in a supremely mild tone, if you spoke with Urza. I've already told him, but Urza doesn't listen to me unless I'm telling him what he wants to hear. If I were you, I'd send someone up the mountain to talk with Coyotas. Coyotas is not much for listening. They may got a problem. No, Sancha. Urza's got a problem, because the other elders will get Kozda's attention sooner or later. Is Urza in danger? I mean, would you? Would they? Tetra was such a calm and rational woman that Zanja had trouble getting across her question, although she knew from other worlds that the most ruthless folk she never met were invariably calm and irrational. Those who go up the mountain do not always come down, Tessie said simply. Urza is a walker. I've seen him melt mountains with my eyes. Not here. Sancho bore that in silence. I'll talk to Urza the next time he comes down, assuming he comes back. Assuming, Tessu agreed. Urza did return to the White House after 40 days in Kodaz's cave. He summoned the entire community and made the air shimmer with visions of artifacts and city. Sancho had learned a bit more Equilorian by then. When she spoke to Urza afterwards, her concerns were real. They're not interested. They say they put greatness behind them, and they're angry with Ram Nam and Tessu for letting you stay with them so long. They say something has to be done. Of course something's got to be done, and I'll get Kiyodaz to do it. He's on the brink. He's been on the brink for days now. I left them alone to get his thoughts in order. They're a collective mind, you know. Each elder separate, and all the elders together. They become stagnant, but I'm getting them moving again. Once I get Kazuyodaz persuaded, he'll give the sign to the others, and the dam will bust. You'll see. Tessu said that there was a, those who go up the mountain don't always return. Be careful, Urza. Those people have power. Tessu and Ramnam? Forget Tessu and Ramnam. They might as well be blind. Yes, they've got power. All Ekelor has undreamed power. But they turned their backs on power, and they've forgotten how to use it. Even Kyodos. I'm going to show them what greatness truly is. Sancho walked away wondering if Tessu had power enough to take her between worlds once Urza stayed in the mountains with Kyodos. The adults were missing, though, and the children wouldn't meet Sancho's eyes when they asked where they'd gone. Not even the 90-year-old Bria. Zancha went outside to the place where they'd gathered to watch some sunrise light the mountains each morning. The skies were clear. It had rained just four times since she arrived. Torrential downpours had soaked everything and recharged the cistern. During the storms, they'd taken shelter in the underground larders. She thought the adult community must be meeting there or outside the one of the other houses. Zancha listened closely for conversation but heard nothing. And though she never heard or seen anything to suspect that the Gardens and fields were beyond the White Houses, were dangerous at night. She had decided it was safe as near the children's. Tessier's children took harmless advantage of her absence. They raided the larder, lured the kittens into the forbidden cushions, and one by one fell asleep on their beds. Sancha guessed they'd slip into the long hours between midnight and dawn, 
She tried to deny another conversation with Urza, but he was gone. Walked back to Kaodaz, most likely. She sensed that the Equalorians didn't approve of the Skippin' Green Worlds to get from the house to the cave. They didn't say anything, though. They weren't inclined towards warnings or ultimatums. Not that either would have mattered to Urza. Sancho went outside again. She paced and stared at the mountains. They paced some more, stared some more. The sky brightened, dawn at last. The adults would come back to the sunrise. She talked to Tessu. They'd work something out. But the beginning wasn't dawn. The new light came from a single point. Unhealed in the sky. A star. Zanja thought there were so many of them in the Equilorian sky that she hadn't already began memorizing the brightest patterns. She never seemed a star grow so bright, brighter before, except on Gastal, when the star had been a predatory planeswalker. Zanja ran inside, awakened the children, and was herding them to the larders when Tessie raced through the open air door. I sent them to the shelter before that thing, Sancho pointed to Bryce's head, crashed on top of us. The children had rushed through their mothers, babbling in their own language, offering apologies and excuses for why they weren't in bed. Sancho guessed and maybe blamed her, though they were not pointing fingers or condemning glances. Tessu calmed them quickly. If the youngest boy was indeed 80, Tessu had several lifetimes in which to learn the tricks of motherhood. She didn't urge them to the larder, however, but kept them outside into the sunrise gathering place. Thank you for thinking first of the children, Tessu said. It wasn't what she had come running home to say, but the words seemed sincere. Nothing was will crash down in Equilor. A star is dying. Sancha shook her head, unable to comprehend the notion. It happens frequently, or so the elders say, but only twice when we were in the ground could see it, and never as bright as this. Tessie took Sancha's hand between hers. It is an omen. Urza? Is Urza? There will be a change. I can't say more than that. Change doesn't come easily to Equilor. We go outside and see what the sunlight brings. Sancha freed herself. You know more? Tell me more, please. I don't know more, Sancha. I suspect, yes. I suspect the elders have gotten Kiyodaz's attention. No night had ever been so long. The dying star continued to brighten until it cast shadows all around. They remained visible after the other stars had dimmed, and when the dawn began. Sancha worried the hem loose from her borrowed shawl and began to mindlessly unravel it. There was change, more enormously than anyone had imagined. As dawn perimeter moved down the mountain, the cave flashed in unison. What does it mean? she whispered. It means that they've come to their senses. Pakuyu snapped. If that fool wants to change a world, let him change his own. To which Tessu added, You'll be leaving soon. Urza the Live? No more than he was yesterday, and I'd be surprised if he learned anything. Kyodaz certainly hasn't. But that's for the best, isn't it? If they both think they've been making changes for themselves. Sancha thought a moment, then nodded. Urza walked up a few moments later. The future ended before it began, he he began, talking to her, talked to the household, talked to himself equally. I cannot say stay to lead you, and Kiyodaz has already begun to waver in the face of stagnant opposition. But they have lifted me into the night and showed me a frightening sight. The fortress I made around the plains where I was born has been brought down by a misguided fool. As my brother and I undid the thread, so 
I have been undone by ignorance. But I can go back, and I will go back. Equilor, however, is on its own. You'll have to complete my visions without my guidance. The household made a fair share of grief. From Pacu to Bria, they said how sorry that they were, that they wouldn't get to live the future Urza and Kodos had promised them. The entire community flattered Urza's rightness and strength of character. They wished him well and offered to make him a feast in honor of his departure for Dominaria. Sancho was relieved when Urza declined. She didn't think she had a stomach for an extended play of insincerity. Tessa had been right. It was for the best that Urza left Equilor, thinking the decision had been his own. It took them a hundred dominaria years to walk the between worlds from Equilor to Darwinaria. But in the spring of the year 3210, the year after Urza's birth, Zancha finally stood on the world where she'd been destined to sleep. That was chapter 20 of Planeswalker. Please like and subscribe and follow on YouTube and your chosen podcast platform. Thanks for listening.